Our scripture reading today comes from Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 to 22. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Kilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters, why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they are grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything, but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi, when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that you would be with us this morning as you've promised, and we pray that you would Uh, Honor the reading and the preaching of your word, uh, that it might land in our hearts. Lord, we are people familiar with grief, so we ask that you would show us grace. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, We're beginning a new series this morning on the book of Ruth, which if you're new to the Christian faith, uh, the book of Ruth is uh, a book that is found in the Old Testament. 
uh, also known as the Hebrew Scriptures. And uh, good news, it's a very short book. So if you've been coming to Grace for a while, and you know that we spent 59, 60 weeks on Luke, we're going to spend four on the book of Ruth, okay? So just thought I'd throw that out to you. But, um, you know, Ruth is kind of a strange book, honestly. There's all sorts of customs and habits and laws in ancient Israel that many of us are very unfamiliar with. And so sometimes you can get tripped up in the story saying, what exactly is going on here? And we're not going to try to clear all that up at the beginning, but we will try to tend to that as we move through this story together. But I want to begin with saying something about the way Ruth is commonly received in our culture. It's received as a beautiful love story. And I, I want to say a kind of yes and a no to that notion. Is Ruth a beautiful love story? Yes, it is. Love is at the heart of this story. And so every modern person who's fascinated with love and fixated on love, you're like, oh, let's see see what's going on in this story. But I also want to say, no, Ruth is not an ancient version of The Bachelor or The Bachelorette. Okay? So what I mean by that is if you think the punchline is for all you single ladies to wait on your Boaz, you are missing the point of the book of Ruth. You're missing it entirely. And as a matter of fact, the book is called Ruth, but the story actually orbits around a woman named Naomi. It's a story about Naomi and what God does in her life. Now, I want to begin with a question that I think is a question we often don't ask in church. And maybe we don't actually talk about anywhere. And that question is, what would make you want to give up on God? See, there are things that happen in our lives where we wrestle with that question, whether we verbalized it or not, where we say, where was God when I was being abused? Where was God when my spouse left me? Where was God when my child died? Where is God right now In the midst of my grief. See, it's actually an important question to wrestle with. And many theologians have described the book of Ruth like this. That Naomi is the female Job. You know the story of Job in the Old Testament? A man who lost everything and wrestled with God. And yet his friends coming alongside him say, no, no, no. You must have done something wrong and all this happened to you. And uh, it's, 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 it's a difficult book to work through. It's a difficult book to understand. But we're so glad it's in the Bible. Because it's for people who are going through horrific heartache. But you see, there's a difference between the book of Ruth and Job. Job questions God's justice. But Naomi questions his love. And I'd say that's something that's very familiar to a lot of you in here. And this is the thing I want you not to miss, is that as one person put it, Ruth shows us that God's loving faithfulness is at work even in tragedy, even when we come close to accusing him of evil. How's that for a teaser? Now, here's the thing. The key theme of the book of Ruth is found in one word, I believe, and that word is hesed. 
It's a Hebrew word. And it's a word that means covenant love. It's very difficult to translate into the English, but it's the kind of love that operates according to bounded commitment, to radical devotion to another's well-being and good. And hesed is the kind of love that God has for his people. As the, the, the children's uh, storybook Bible uh, says it, it's a never stopping, never giving up, always and forever love. And this is why this is so important. Because Ruth is a very odd book. There's no miracles, really, of note. There's no moment where God steps in and goes, hey guys, watch what I'm about to do, right? There's no impressive, stunning interventions. Yet all along it draws our attention to the hidden hand of God at work. That phrase, the hidden hand of God, operating according to his hesed love. Now, that can sound uh, pietistic or abstract to you, but I want to kind of set the scene for us a little bit this morning. The book of Ruth opens uh, with a very important phrase. It says, in the days when the judges ruled... This is describing a season in Israel's history, and the only way that um, I can kind of help some of you understand what that is, uh, if you're unfamiliar with it's like Squid Game, okay? I never saw Squid Game, so do not send me emails, but I read a whole lot about it. Everyone acting in their own best interest. In fact, the, the repeated phrase at the end of the book of Judges was this, everyone was doing right in their own eyes. There was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And you know, what, you know what the result was? It was a ruthless and cruel and brutal and unforgiving society. This story, the book of Ruth, is happening during that time. And here's another thing, is that it involves Israel and one of Israel's enemies, which is Moab. Now, this is kind of uh, fascinating aside, but I think it helps you understand sort of the tension between Israel and Moab in these days, is that Moab comes from two words, Mo, which means who, and Av, which means father. And so Moab was the land of who's your daddy, all right? <laughs> who's your daddy, okay? And uh, it was a mocking term. And there was a, there was a hate-filled history between Israel and Moab. And it was especially pronounced during the time of Judges. There was bad blood. And this morning, what I want to do is I want to attend to two things that are involved in this story of an Israelite named Naomi and a Moabite named Ruth and what it teaches us about God's Hesed love. I don't want to make sermon points. I'm not going to give you three. I'm going to give you two words to hang your hat on. And those two words are grief and grace. And it's really, really important because those two things are things that sometimes we have a hard time putting together. So I want to begin with talking about grief. And here we're going to be looking at some of the details of Naomi's story. What was causing Naomi grief? And we need to look at both the circumstances and the interpretations that she gives to those circumstances. So the circumstances are this. All the vital info is provided in the first eight sentences. And it begins with, there was a famine in the land. Now, you need to feel the weight of that. Okay, because we could kind of read past that like, okay, Bible word, famine, 
right? Lepers, right? You just kind of like go past it. Like famine is a weighty thing. What would you be willing to do if your children were starving to death? Famine. So in the midst of this famine, a family, the husband of which was named Elimelech, which means by God is king, the wife of which is named Naomi, which means pleasant, they travel to Moab because there's no food in Bethlehem. They become refugees in a foreign land, which means now they are other when they've grown up being on the inside. The second thing we're told, this is not just a famine, but there is death. First, Naomi's husband dies. My God is king, kicks the bucket. And her sons have married Moabite women. And they die, both of them. And there's no children. So please note, all the dudes drop from the scene after verse 5 in chapter 1 of Ruth. And that's because they all drop dead. This becomes a story entirely focused on Naomi and her grief. And then Ruth, her Moabite daughter-in-law. Look, it would be grievous enough to lose so much in a short period of time. But on top of that, there's no 401k In this land, there's no federal leave fund. There's no life insurance as we know it. And the men drive the economy of the day. So here's Naomi. She's lost all the men in her life. And there's a famine. She's vulnerable. She's a widow. She has no sons of her own to take care of her because they're dead. What's she going to do? And it's at that moment in verse 6 we hear that she hears the Lord has ended the famine in Israel. And she decides, I'm going to go home. And her daughters-in-law are coming with her. Now, here's where we start to get some insight into Naomi's interpretation of the circumstances. And it's fleshed out both in her dialogue with her daughters-in-law, but also in the conversation that she has with the women of Bethlehem when she returns. I want to look at both of those, leaving the middle out for just a moment, okay? So this dialogue that she has with Ruth and Orpah, which are her two Moabite daughters-in-law, is really about Naomi trying to spare them of something. You see, she's overwhelmed with grief, but she's clear on one thing. She doesn't want her daughters-in-law coming with her. They're on the way with her, but she wants to spare them of her empty life. So verse 9, she says, look, go home. Go back to Moab. Return to your land. And may the Lord show you, guess what word shows up? Hesed. May the Lord show you, it's translated kindness, but in Hebrew it's the word hesed. May he show you favor. May he show you covenant love. And may you find rest in the house of your husband's. In other words, go back to Mary, go back to to Moab and get married, right? Don't come with me. There's nothing for you here with me. And of course, they weep and they wail. And both Ruth and Orpah say, no, 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 no. We're with you. We're with you. So Naomi turns it up a little bit. She's like, seriously, what is the point? 
There is no life for you with me. Go home. Go back to your land. And this is, this is one of those things that maybe we don't understand. Naomi, like, she gets it. That two Moabites coming into Israel with the history of hatred and the history of tensions are very unlikely to find a husband there. And in a world where, as a woman, you depended upon men for your sustenance, I'm not commenting on whether that's right or wrong, but that's the way it was at that time. She's like, it's going to be much better for you in Moab. Sounds totally reasonable. Sounds completely, right, uh, irreasonable. And she's also saying, and this is, uh, we, we might not get this either. She's like, look, even if I get remarried and I have children and, you know, how long are you going to wait till they grow up, uh, these sons, so you can marry them? And you're like, that's so weird. And uh, that's going to be an important thing we come back to. There was actually a law in the land of Israel about obligations you had to your siblings to carry on the line. And it's going to be at the heart of this story. Don't want to get sidetracked by that. But here, Naomi is trying to act in the best interests of her daughters-in-law. But once again, they're resistant. And Naomi says, look, I'm just going to lay it on the line for you. This is verse 13. I am bitter because the Lord's hand has gone out against me. You know that that language, the hand of the Lord? That was used all throughout the Old Testament to describe God's actions against Israel's enemy. So do the math. Naomi is saying, God has made me his enemy. His hand has gone out against me. He has made my life bitter. Now, I want to pause for a second. Because some of you right now want to jump all over Naomi. And you want to correct her theology. Okay? And uh, there's, there's a place for that. I will admit. But we actually need to hear these words And we need to understand the importance of them in in this text. Because no one at that point is criticizing Naomi for what she says. And in fact, if we too quickly try to clean it up, we'll actually miss something really important. You know, there was a a podcast years ago. uh, It's a theological podcast. And uh, one of the guests on that was Nancy Guthrie. Some of you, I think, went and heard Nancy Guthrie uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, she's a marvelous teacher and speaker, and she's a great theologian. She's also a wife and a mother, and part of her story is that she's lost two children around six months of age because of some condition. And so she and her husband, they do various retreats and things uh, for parents who've lost a child, but also for parents who are looking at the prospect of losing a child. She's very involved in this work. And on this podcast, there was a dialogue uh, going on about the book of Job and all the wrestling with God's justice. And uh, then someone brought up Job's wife, which if you don't know the story of, of Job and his wife, Job's basically like, the Lord has given, the Lord has taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. And then Job's wife's like, are you still blessing God? Curse him and die. And these two theologians on the podcast were like, She's not a believer, right? That's that's not a believing statement. And Nancy Guthrie said this. She said, you know, I take this, these words of Job's wife, as the crazy things we say 
when we're howling with grief on the inside. You know that, right? When you are howling with grief on the inside, you can say some crazy things. And I, I think for us as God's people, we should, we should be willing to wrestle with this. If God made space for these things in his book, we should make space for them in the church. That there are moments when we will say crazy things because we are overwhelmed with grief. And that's what's going on with Naomi here. You know, notice, Naomi still has hope in God's love for others. She's wanting Ruth and Orpah to go back home. She's saying, may the Lord show hesed to you. But it feels like she's starting to lose it for herself. Know anything about that? Have great hope for God's love for others. But begin to wonder, does he really care about me? Naomi says, I am bitter the Lord's hand has gone out against me. At this point, Orpah decides, you know what, I'm, I'm going to go home. But it says Ruth clung to her. Now hold on to that because we're going to return to that in a minute. But I want to jump down to when she finally does arrive in Bethlehem in verse 19. With Ruth by her side. And they enter the city gates and people start talking. Now I want you to think, think about... A city gate, right? You're like, you think of one of those like iron gates, you know, that just opens and closes. Like the city gate was like a pathway that you walked through. And it combined like Costco with the internet, with city hall in terms of social importance. And so you're coming in the city gate, like people are going to notice. And they do. And it creates quite a buzz because people start saying, is this Naomi? I, I don't know if like Naomi had been prom king, queen in Bethlehem and like everybody knew she was. I don't know what it was, but they're looking at her who's now a destitute, like, ravaged woman, beaten down by grief. And they're saying, is that her? Naomi, is that you? And this is what Naomi says. Don't call me Naomi anymore. Pleasant. Instead, call me Mara, which means bitter. For the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. And once again, we need to make room for those kind of words when people are howling with grief. But we also need to recognize that there's a way in which we can run with our feelings and it begins to take root in our lives and it begins to redefine our identity. She's saying, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Don't, don't call me sweet. Call me bitter. For the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. And then she says this. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Now, think about that for a second. I went away full. She left because it was a famine. So she wasn't full, Right? And then now here she is coming back into Bethlehem and she says, and I'm empty. And how must have Ruth felt right by her side? I come back with nothing. And Ruth's like, hello, everyone, you know, Moabite daughter-in-law at her side, right? But once again, you see that grief can have its way with us and begin to gain traction in our soul. And there is space for the howling inside to come out 
You got to recognize what it begins to do to you as you give way to it. Naomi is on the edge. But you know what? At least she's saying it out loud. At least there's opportunity for it to be dealt with as she processes it. She's almost lamenting. Lamenting is when you're saying it to God. (laughs) She's saying it to others. And maybe that's a step along the way for Naomi. She still has hope for God's love for other people. But for me, his hand has gone out against me. In fact, she intensifies it. She says, the Lord has testified against me. And the Almighty has brought calamity on me. It's like God has shown up as a witness against her. So intense is her grief. You know, as people who wrestle with grief, you might be saying like, you know, like, okay, I get it. There's some unstable people out here who deal with this kind of stuff. And I just want to tell you, if you have not yet experienced this in life, you probably will and maybe very soon. Because as one of my friends, who's also a pastor, puts it, life is not just hard, it is crushingly hard. And it's just a matter of time. And the thing is, you might not be going through this kind of grief right now in your life, but I bet somebody you know is. And yes, you can encourage people to pray and cling to God's promises, but only after you've sat with them and wept with them for a time. Because this is grief, and it is real, and it is hard. But it's not the whole story. You see, where was God in all of this? Where, where is his hesed love? Where is his grace that touches this kind of grief? And that's the second thing that I want to look at just briefly. Go back to verse 14. And we are told that when Naomi is trying to send Ruth and Orpah away, Orpah finally agrees, but Ruth clung to her. You know that language, clung, right? It's not like emotional clinging, like we talk about, like clingy person. It's covenantal language. It's the same word that is used to describe a man leaving his father and mother and clinging to his wife. It's language of gluing yourself to somebody else through a promise. It's language of loyalty, of faithfulness, of covenant love. Naomi's trying to get Ruth to peace out, but she just can't shake her. And you want to know why? Because Ruth is actually God's answer to Naomi's lament in this moment. And notice, she's already right there. Naomi just doesn't see it yet. Grace comes in the form of hesed love. And is embodied through Ruth in two ways. She shows it to Naomi. And this is the point of verse 16. It's so beautiful. She says, do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. And your God, my God. You know what she's saying? She's saying, stop pressuring me. Classic mother-in-law, daughter-in-law conversation, right? Stop pressuring me. I'm going to stick with you. Not a classic mother-in-law, daughter-in-law conversation. And if I don't, she goes on to say, may Yahweh curse me. 
right? You can almost imagine as she's saying these words that it's accompanied by a slash of the throat or, you know, the way we might do it is an index finger to the temple, right? She is deadly serious about the vow that she is making to Naomi. Naomi has been saying, go away from me. My life is over. You still have yours to live. And you know what Ruth is saying? No, I'm going to lay down my life in devotion to you. That's hesed. And it was a costly decision. Ruth is choosing to live in a land where she knows no one except Naomi. They don't have anybody else. She enjoys few legal rights. She will likely face ethnic prejudice as a Moabite living in Bethlehem. It's during the time of Judges, which did I mention is not a great time. And she's devoting herself to an old woman in a world that's dominated by men. That's Hesed love. That is God's grace to Naomi in her grief, but she just doesn't see it yet. But you know what? Ruth also bears witness to something else, and that is the fact that the God of Israel is worth trusting. You see, this is a confession of faith for Ruth. She is hitching her wagon to Yahweh, the God of Israel. And it's a radical choice because she's, she's not just making a commitment to say like, Naomi, I'm with you. You know, I'm going to choose Bethlehem over Moab. I'm going to choose you over the prospect of a good, likely prospect of a good husband. I am choosing Yahweh over Chemosh, the Moabite national deity. And this is earth shaking, but it goes largely unnoticed and acknowledged by Naomi. You know, sometimes the grace of God is staring us in the face and we just don't see it for whatever reason. And it's like grief is blinders to the hidden hand of God, the present grace of God in our lives. Naomi is saying, he brought me back empty, but here's Ruth pledging her undying love to Naomi. You know, this is the quiet work of God. We love the noisy stuff, right? We're attracted to like, oh, we heard there's some stupendous thing going over there. Let's run over and see if we can kind of get some of that on us, you know? But God's work is often quiet and slow, it seems. And it's going to take the rest of the story to see how this plays out. But this is grace touching grief at the core. And it comes in the form of of Hesed love. Look, I'm trying so hard not to say too much because you want to run ahead in the story, but I have to go ahead a little bit. (laughs) The book of Ruth is in many ways about the hidden hand of God, which is something you and I need to understand. And you might say, great, cool. So I'm supposed to just trust God because of what he did in this woman, Naomi's life, gave her a Ruth. Not very inspiring. And I want to cheat a little. And jump to the end of the book. Because this book ends with a genealogy. Which is weird. But it's telling us that there is more to this story than the story itself. See, Naomi can't see it yet. But she's actually going to get a son through Ruth. And his name will be Obed. And then Obed's going to have a son. And his name will be Jesse. And Jesse's going to have a son. And his name will be David. As in King David. So think this out for a second. In the day of the judges, 
when there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in their own eyes and it was squid game, God was at work in the life of a grieving, destitute old woman through a Moabite widow from Moab to bring the king who would reverse the horrors of the season, at least for a time. And a king who would teach God's people more about his Hesed love than anybody before him. And now I want to cheat a whole lot, not just a little bit. The Gospel of Matthew also begins with a genealogy. And it ties this story to the story of Jesus. The true king who comes to rescue the world. The one who's the embodiment of God's Hesed love for his people. Living, dying, and rising again for us and our salvation. You know what that means? This story of Naomi's grief and destitution and of a Moabite from Moab is part of a larger story of God's rescue of the world. Naomi's story doesn't just connect to our story uh, simply through a shared lived experience. It connects through Jesus because her story belongs in this much bigger story, the story of God's hesed love which brings Jesus to us. I know you're asking, how does, this, how does this help me, like right now? Because I'm howling inside with grief, and I haven't let anybody know it yet. There's a man who lived in the 19th century named Charles Spurgeon, famous preacher. Uh, but what's not as famous about Charles Spurgeon is he battled with depression, intense depression his whole life. He also had uh, horrible bouts with gout. He'd be laid up for weeks and he'd cry out to God in his grief and his pain. Where are you? Where is your grace? And one day he wrote these words. When you cannot trace his hand, you can always trust his heart. When you cannot trace his hand, you can always trust his heart. God's heart for his people is hesed, covenant love. Which is to say, grace. Hesed is what brought Naomi a Ruth. Hesed is what Ruth does to Naomi. And Hesed is ultimately what God has done in Christ for us. Does this explain all your grief? No. No. But can it reinterpret it? Wildly so. Because even when you can't trace his hand... You can trust his heart. And you can trust him because of the cross and the resurrection. You know what the cross and the resurrection tell God's people? He is not against you. He is for you. Even in all your grief, in the wildest way imaginable. Let me add one little note before we close this up. Because we're laying down tracks for for the rest of the series. Hesed isn't only what God does to us and for us. Hesed is what God calls us to do to one another. You know, there's the prophet Micah, Micah 6 8. It's this famous line. You've probably heard it even if you're not yet a Christian. Uh, but it goes like this He has shown you, that is, God has shown you, oh man, what is good and what Yahweh requires of you. And then you get these lines to do justly. You've heard a lot about that. And at the end, to walk humbly with our God. But right in the middle, it's often translated to love mercy. But you know what the word is? It's hesed. 
That is the pattern that God's people are to embody. It is the way God has treated us. And it is the way we are to treat one another. And not just one another in the family of God. But it is the way we are to go out into the world. And enact committed self-sacrificial love. It's part of the way God brings his grace into the world. And his grace is how he repairs the ruins. Let's pray together. Father, we um, thank you for a story like this that is so raw and involves destitution and vulnerability and honest words and doubt. And that you rub your grace into that story. That you demonstrate Hesed love and the way it plays out. God, would you catch our lives up into this big story that it might reinterpret even the way that we deal with our grief. We know that you're a God who cares about every tear that is shed and every brokenness that is endured. And that you have made big promises, promises which we count on you to fulfill and know you will because you have honored your word to bring Jesus the one who lived and died and rose for us. God, we need a story as big as this. We need our little stories to be caught up in this. And we need the space to grieve and cry and weep and wail. We also need to experience Hesed love, not only from you, but from one another. And we need to extend that to the world. So Lord, help us, we ask, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.